What's up, everybody? Welcome to Binge Town TV. This is Brian here with Kyle, Luke, and producer Dave. And today we're continuing our Rooks and Vets coverage of Sci-Fi's The Magicians Season 5. This is going to be Episode 7, entitled Acting Dean. And apparently that is the job that nobody wants. And like Penny said, we owe our boy Dean Fogg a little bit more credit than he was getting. Because he did a lot as Acting Dean. Much harder gig than anybody thought it was. Explains the uh, alcoholism. Yeah, seriously. No, this was a good episode. I mean, anytime you start off with Todd and then you get two versions of Todd and then you get a lot of Todd lines, it's going to be great. We're going to like it as a group. And it was fun. A lot of plot, too, in this one, I feel like. So I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah, this one overall just felt like a little bit of a lighter episode after the whole harmonic convergence and the Groundhog Day. This was an episode where I felt I could like take a deep breath. And before I got into the episode, I was thinking... Okay, in the aftermath of the past two episodes, where is everybody at right now? Because the last two episodes, everybody was really just focused on Earth's apocalypse. And I figure, you know, Penny should go back to teaching because he's contractually obligated to. Elliot and Margot would probably go back to fight the Dark King. Uh, Julia will be seeking out this Pigman quest, which... I think the end of last episode was Todd telling her that the pig man showed up again. And Alice and Katie, I kind of thought were a little bit of wild cards and we don't get any Katie this episode, but Alice, she really has no direction. So I figured she would just kind of help out as needed in Fillory. We didn't get any um, Josh either, but they actually had a good line in there, which was earned from an earlier episode about his nephew's bar mitzvah, right? So Hell that yeah. was cool that they that they um, cashed in on that. They deserve that reward. <laughs> Not that I'm was happy nice. he wasn't there, you know. Like B Tom said, it was nice to get kind of reintroduced to these other plot lines that had no choice but to take a back seat because the moon, or I guess rather the harmonic convergence was about to destroy the earth. This episode kind of reminded me a little bit of episode four and that it's coming off the back end of a heater, but I think it was better than episode four, not only because it's a huge Todd episode, but we kind of finally got that answer to the Dark King's shady relationship that we've been mulling over theories about and that bastard Big Pickwick finally gets his just desserts, his comeuppance, which was very nice to see. Yeah, so. We really needed to plant more seeds again and really recenter focus on the Fillory timeline. And while we didn't do a lot of that because most of the episode took place at break bills, the important parts and the mic drop moment at the very end of it was all centered on advancing that storyline and putting that that's going to be the future of the back half of the season. The one thing that I was really hoping for with regards to Todd, at least, was that obviously Julia just wants to take this entire quest off of his plate so he has nothing to do with it. But I was hoping that he would be riding shotgun for the whole thing. I was hoping he wouldn't just be a one off. (laughs) And it's looking like he's kind of hanging around. He's in the mix of stuff. Kathleen Um, said it uh, last episode, talking about all like the different like the the duos, you know, the two different, you know, Josh and and Elliot, and then obviously Margot and Elliot and more. And that's kind of where the show shines sometimes is when there's just two characters matched up doing their own thing. And Todd and Julia, that is quite the combo. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. So how we normally do episodes is we like to bucket the plots into however they make sense. So we're not going back and forth scene by scene, but instead just naturally flowing through the characters that spend time together for the episodes. So we took a break from that for the dual part apocalypse episode because everything was scene by scene but 
we're going to jump back into that methodology and split it up this podcast by break bills and all the fillery stuff. So we're going to start, I believe, in going through all the break bill scenes. But before we even get there, we are going to have an intro scene. Brian, you can take us through that. Yeah, so we're going to open with our boy Todd just serenading Julia with what he can remember of the Pigman's quest, which he delivered to Todd in the form of a song. I have a couple cuts here, but fucked by a catastrophe and way before we planned. And then something, something, Fillory, a land without a god, needs a brand new hero, a strapping boy named Shut Todd. Up, Todd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Love me some Todd. And they're putting him right at the forefront, which I love as a rook. And of course, Todd's just like, oh yeah, must've been like, would have been a good idea to write him down. Don't worry, I did put him on a napkin. Then I ran out of space. So I put him on my hand, which don't worry. I transferred to another napkin. <laughs> so Todd's just a fool. And Julia's just like, don't worry, Todd. I'm just going to take this whole thing off of your plate. So Todd goes back to break bills to get the rest of his notes, which allows Julia to reconvene with Margo and Elliot. They're this is all going on in the New York apartment and they're just going over the pig's premonition. And Margo was kind of being a bitch this whole scene to Julia, which I didn't appreciate. She was kind of giving her the cold shoulder. Like, yeah, we already know what's up with Fillory. Like you don't have to tell me how to save my kingdom. Mm -hmm. Mom's not here. So we can talk shit on Margo. Yeah. No one's going to defend her right now. (laughs) Fuck you, Margo. (laughs) And I get it. She's she's probably feeling good right after saving Earth from the apocalypse. And she's just like, all right, let's just bang out this dark king. Bada bing. Let's do it. But she was definitely giving Julia the short end of the stick here and being short with her, which she even blamed her for saving the wrong planet. And Julia's like, oh, sorry, I saved billions of people on Earth by guessing wrong. Like, my bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought it was a weird animosity coming from Margot. Margot like, is acting like, you know, failure is her home now, basically, is what I got from that. That's a good point, yeah. And I guess to play the Kathleen devil's advocate is that, like Dave said, she's just worried about Fillory, and there's a lot on her plate. You know, the whole Josh shit still hasn't been resolved, but I do agree with you, B-Toms. It should have been, yeah, Earth should be the priority, <laughs> for sure. So they they go back through the clock to Fillory, but before she goes through, Luke already touched on it. She says, tell Josh to meet me when he gets done with the bar mitzvah. Dude drops everything for family. It's weird. <laughs> so Josh, we're not going to see him this episode. And this is kind of where the main characters split up. Obviously, Margot and Elliot are on their way to Fillory, but at break bills, everything is falling apart. Penny, Penny is rolling up late to an emergency faculty Uh, meeting and he gets filled in on Lipson is currently in a coma all the circumstances are all messed up because some asshole moved the moon and while Lipson was trying to deactivate the security system since the circumstances are off it got sicked on her so she's in a coma there's no acting dean this emergency meeting was to pick a new dean and since Penny wasn't there they all voted for him which would be ridiculous because he's the only one without magic he has magic he just can't travel that's true it's just literally him getting the short end of the stick that's all it is it's pretty funny that we maybe it was was it last i don't remember what episode it was we're talking about how luke you said that we're getting a lot more lips in you know it's just funny that they're kind of throwing her at us this season and then we transition to this episode and she's fucked up i mean she even says that most of it will grow back whatever it is that lips and lost most of it will grow back so if we do get to see lips in later on it's going to be interesting to see what she now looks like right uh, so so Penny goes on to don this new acting dean title, name of the episode. Woo. 
And then he is just thrust right into the job and dealing with all these different events that are happening around break bills. And these different students are coming to him stories with live chickens and the fertility and contraception charms are switched, which is fucking ridiculous. The uh, then they talk case. about air getting turned into water. Then the, the pencil case. The pencil case would kill me. Uh, but there, I do want to say something about the pencil case. Kathleen the would box. kill me. Kathleen would kill me if I got this wrong. So I'm going to be very vague about it. But the pencil case comment in there is a huge nod to the books. That's like a plot line that's actually kind of important. And I think it's all. It's been so many years since I read the books, but I think it's all revolved around Plum and stuff. So that was just them, you know, giving another nod to the readers of Lev Grossman's books, which I thought was I appreciated it. So that's kind of like a montage of just kids coming in with ridiculous problems. After that, Alice comes in and kind of just reminds Penny, like, yeah, listen, man, we were warned that this was going to happen. We moved the fucking moon. Like, now it's time to deal with it. So Alice gets right to work saying, we might just have to relearn magic, accommodating for new circumstances. So she's going to start from square one, essentially, which is a ridiculous undertaking. But if anybody's up to it, it's our girl, Alice. I was That's so that. crazy. Like, can you imagine if that happened? Like, I don't like something crazy where like the speed of light changed or just, you know, some, co- all the constants in math got shifted, which would just be like insane how we'd have to redo everything. Who Magic better, who better than Alice Quinn to solve this puzzle? It's true. I, I mean, was sitting here and watching Penny be on that, his side of the desk sitting in the chair and then Alice is in like the student side. It just, those roles should be switched. Mayakovsky could do it probably. Well, both of them. Mayakovsky could do anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, I digress. And Alice also says that they're they're under the clock because even though the harmonic convergent has passed, there's still too much magic in the air. Surges are still happening. So they got to get this down pat before who knows what happens. At the very least, people are going to hurt themselves. At the end of this scene, I think Penny's looking for alcohol, actually. But Dean Fogg was sober when he went to the etheric realm. So what he finds is this little wooden box that holds a button and it's labeled for emergencies only. So they take it to Julia in the physical cottage. And Alice is saying, you know, we analyzed it. There's a bunch of locator spells on it. So we think it might be something that could contact or even summon Dean Fogg. And they're in such dire straits that they're willing to try anything. I thought this was a really funny scene because Penny and Alice are really nervous and Julia's just like, boop, <laughs> <They're> <laughs> let's see what happens. Their reactions were priceless right there. Uh, did you guys, what did you think was going to happen? Because I know B-Toms, you were actually texting me and Kathleen live when you were watching this saying, oh yeah, like Fog's coming back. Woo woo. And then by the end, you're like, oh, wrong Fog. <laughs> yeah. So it was funny to get your live reactions. <clears throat> so I know what you were thinking, but Kyle, did you think, they were pulling Dean Fogg back in right away. I was definitely happy to see him when he first showed up. I didn't know what to expect from like the button itself. My only thought in this scene was that I just thought it was hilarious that the Dean of Breakville's is like kind of breaking it down with, I guess you could say his advisors trying to figure something out, but in the physical kid's cottage, that just kind of makes me laugh. Like imagine if Dean Fogg was just hanging around the physical kid's cottage. I was just hyped to be there. Honestly, I know, I know we have been there a couple of times this season, but just the random group of people that were in the building, just, yeah, you know, it's not even Penny 40 and it's not even our fog. It just still felt early magician, nostalgic vibes a little bit. And I love, yeah, it. that table, that table, them figuring things out around that table is definitely like a nice setting for that to happen. And this is where we get Penny saying, admitting that, you know, I hate to say it, but Dean Fogg was doing way more than we gave him credit for, which I think was a great nod to Dean Fogg because we, I ne- personally never acknowledged that the Dean of break bills is probably up to his eyes and, just shit getting thrown at him from students 
also think about it like this he's lived that life 42 times so yeah he's <laughs> constantly in his reactions it, it just it really puts his reactions throughout the first four seasons in a lot more context too Dude. and the reason he stayed in the etheric realm was partly yeah that. oh yeah, yeah true 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 dean fogs he's a great character i i hope we get the he's real so fog better. back but one of my questions, I guess I'll get to it at the end of the episode, is we still have Fog 17 in this timeline. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. But to close out this scene, an explosion is heard in the background and Penny's just like, duty calls. So he's off to put out whatever fire that is. Which will bring us to the next break bill scene is acting Dean Adiodi in the Dean's office. And Dean Fogg walks into the Dean's office and Penny is like scrubbing off. It looks like a baby spit up up on him but it's all green and dean Pog just rolls in with if that's from the selkie in the east fountain you might want to get tested for the clap <laughs> we're gonna sounds, keep saying it probably but dean fog's been through a lot sounds like our dean fog honestly and this is where we get the first clue that this is not the real dean fog because he immediately goes over to the drink cart or the bar cart and tries to pour himself a drink but penny's like uh weren't you sober when you left and he said ah yes of course the etheric realm did a number on me so did you at this moment realize this wasn't fo- like fog, or did you still think this was like our fog? No way. Not yeah. nearly enough there yet. That wasn't enough. Yeah. I was also just really excited to see fog, so I wasn't yeah. asking questions. I don't know about you, Kyle, but I, I was hyped that they already brought him back. Well, yeah, the same exact way. So is the next thing that happens, they go to the, the cottage? Mm-hmm. Okay. So- yeah. Well, I mean, they have, they have a conversation there, don't they? No, that it was really quick. They have the conversation in the cottage. Because he says, let's find a bottle and talk about it. You can fill me in. And that's exactly what happens. And Alice says that she came up with a workaround for the circumstances being all janked up. And she says, cast as if you're a thousand feet lower and the Pleiades are six degrees north. That just adds some complexity to what these circumstances are. I could not imagine what the education of a magician has to be to account for like all of these variables. It must be insane, but I guess that's why they're all like Ivy League grads. It's also why Alice is the best. Like her, even ever since the first episode of this season, she has been pretty centered around the changing circumstances, whether it be what's happening with the moon right now or the the internal circumstance conversations we have with Julia and Little Q earlier. Like anytime these are involved, Alice is the best that we know. I always I always make this comparison that she is the Hermione of this world, but I think to even a higher degree, like I think Hermione is the Alice of Harry Potter. Was, yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah. That was my death battle, man. Who would win in a fight, Hermione Granger or Alice Quinn? Alice Quinn, bro. I think it's too I feel slow, like, right? The wand- I feel, yeah, I was just, just going to say, I feel like the wand casting is quicker. Hermione hits him with a Nevada Cadavra. See you later. Good night. <laughs> Imagine if Alice had actually been dead after season one. They would be fucked. But you could almost say yeah, that about right? any character. Yeah, I get. Except for Penny. Penny's really Well, that's actually not true. But... Yeah, Penny 40 sucks. okay so after we have the conversation where alice is cool as shit we actually see her now go into the library and she starts researching what she can do with the circumstances and this is when we get introduced to a new character hamish Bax, and he seems like just an inquisitive mind is a good way to say it because he he sees what alice is doing and instantly starts commenting on it in a helpful positive way so good vibes around this guy he's an intellectual decent dialogue match with alice which is good to see she is not having it though yeah well well he also brings up stephanie in 
like a minute of talking to her and it's a sexual innuendo you know he's like she had such impressive orchids they met at a flower expo he's a botanist and alice gives him a side look but Claims. so he totally claims. bangs Stephanie. yeah <laughs> yeah i don't and, bang other uh what, is, what do they call him again botanist botanist yeah and alice is She's still just working with the spell work, trying to, I guess, update all the literature to accommodate this workaround for the circumstances. And she's doing what looks like a simple, like, fill up a glass of water, and it all just freezes over. So something's not right with her workaround of the circumstances. But in the scene prior, she had instructed Dean Fogg that gave him the green light to try and deactivate the security. So Dean Fogg is in trouble. So now Alice feels as though she needs to send a note instructing Dean Fogg, you know, don't touch the security system. The circumstances are still janked. And this is like a triple scene, parallel Mm. scene kind of going on. And the first part of it is what you just mentioned there, that Alice figuring out that the changing circumstances are more complicated than she thought. The second thing that's happening is you're seeing Dean Fogg deactivate the wards, which fails. We find that out in a second. And then the third thing is we have Jenny 23 talking and honestly, Penny 23 is being a fucking bitch boy because he's still obsessed with the whole normal life thing. But I don't know, man. Julie is the main character. Like, she's got some shit to do. Her work is not done. There's seven more episodes, you know, like she's not just going to settle down here. That's easy to say from someone enjoying the show from afar. Yeah. Much harder to say if you're Penny and literally Julia's boyfriend. So I understand Penny. But yeah, I'm pissed because I want them to get into some crazy shit. I brought this up when they had this first this they talked about this the first time, you know, like he brings up some good points. And now he has to do it all over again. But it is, granted, Julia does. Fillory has a special place in her heart. So I think that it does mean for her, something for her to do this. But Penny brings up a great point here. I, th- I thought that Penny was fine in this scene. I, I think if anything, Julia was being a bitch. She he he prioritizes their relationship more than how important julia is to saving not just this world but worlds i don't know bro you're telling me you're telling me you wouldn't simp julia just as hard if not harder than penny is no i would but that's why i want the quentin and alice relationship which i said in the last episode Mm. where they're always in the center of the story and they're having their shit going on you know that seems more adventurous yeah they're always yelling at each other (laughs) aren't main characters it's okay you can there needs to be background characters and the point of him is his point of you know, you don't have to do it every fucking time. He even says, like, when does it end? When you're 35, like, you just give it a cut off at 35. And, like, how long do I have to wait for your life to not be like this? And, and I think magic, he makes a good point. That's crazy. I personally think Penny would also, like, be down to help, like, people in small ways. He's sick of saving entire worlds. Like, that's just a lot of pressure on people. So. Well, that's what she's suggesting. Julia, when it's brought up that she wants to go back to Philly, by the way, he's he's kind of reading aloud Todd's notes. And the one excerpt he reads is evil forces are coming from a distant realm to invade. And this sounds a lot like the takers. So we're thinking the pig man is probably leading them all to fight this taker situation. Do you mean bacon McSwine flu? Is that who you're talking about? That's what uh, Margo calls, calls him in the first yeah. scene. <laughs> anyway, so but Julia like insists you know, fog is back, like break bills is good. Let's go to Fillory, save that issue. And like Dave, what you were saying, Penny wants to help people just smaller. He's like, I could use your help here. Like, let's just tone it down a notch and try and help break bills instead of a whole nother planet. Right, let's, be, let's be real. Like I would be that way too, but come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they both have their points. I just feel like 
<clears throat> Penny feels like he's being, you know, vulnerable and honest while she is just like, you have no point. I'm right. Fuck off. My last thing I'll say about it is all of this is totally just rooted in my absolute hatred of Penny 40 and <laughs> preferring to see Penny 40 and Katie on the screen instead of Penny 23 and Julie on the screen. I just, it all comes back to how awkward I feel the Julie, the Jenny 23 things is, but you know, I, it, it grows on me. This being the second time I'm watching through this season a little bit more, but I still think Katie and Penny 40 did it way better. Their chemistry was just a little superior. I agree with that. I mean, I think we all agree that Julie and Penny 23 have always been a little bit off since Penny 23 was introduced. It, it was just a weird dynamic and we all ship Katie and Penny 40, mm-hmm. but to close out this little triple scene going on, Julia finally comes to a breaking point where she says, listen, I can't do what I need to do if I have to keep on worrying about you worrying about me. And she breaks up with them. She just says, you know, we have to be done. And she starts you know, leaving to go to Fillory when we get over a PA system, emergency protocols are in place, stay indoors, stay in place. So obviously the security system, Dean Fogg was not able to shut it down and now everything's yeah. activated. How awkward is that? This girl just breaks up with you and now she's just, you're just trapped <laughs> in a room with her. <laughs> I can think of worse things. I can think of worse places to be too because the physical kids cottage is not a bad place to hunker down in. But this is definitely to Julia to Julia's dismay. This yeah. is just an obstacle for her. Okay, so after their fight is going on and the wards, the yeah. sounding of the wards happening, Fog walks in with Todd, who at this point we're just assuming is just a normal thing that's happening because Todd always follows around Fog. That's kind of like part of his personality. Yeah, so this is great. Yeah, exactly. So they walk in, and this is the real first sign that if you're really paying attention, and Julia makes it obvious at the end of the scene, but he calls Todd Elliot at first, and then we go on to make it even more explicit when Todd has no idea who who uh, Pigman is. <laughs> professor Pigman? What is he professor of? I love what he says. Sorry, got to bounce. Todd's just I love- a clown, man. I just love every second of him on the screen. A lot of his the reason he's awesome is just is nonverbal. Like he is just good with his body language. And I'm sure that half of what he does is improv and he's just a goofy person in real life. But yeah, Todd's just puts a smile right on your face. So but Dean Fogg comes in, says he's trying to shut off the security system, but he needs to gather supplies. That's why Todd's helping him out. Todd has like this big box of stuff. And after they leave, Julia is very suspicious, like you said, Luke, and She notes that both of them have kind of been acting a little bit weird. And she also observed that Todd's supplies, the ones that he was carrying around, were all reserved for like major arcana. So heavy duty magic. And Penny is still a little bit ignorant. He's just like, yeah, or they could just be fixing the security system, which, again, I love bringing it back to Julia's discipline. She is always to a T, very inquisitive. Mm -hmm. But Julia trying to be the hero says, I think we should follow them. Like they're sus. And Penny's like, well, I don't want you to get eaten by a centipede. So I guess I'm going too. So off both of them go to tail Todd and fog 17. Can we, we have to talk about the delivery of Julia's line when she says, oh, what, whatever. And she just like leaves. Yeah. Yeah. I have it written down. Yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah. She goes, what? Yeah. Cool. So you're by yourself right now. I just like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, holy shit. You just didn't care. Yeah, she just didn't give a fuck. And Penny's just kind of like, I don't want to be around you. 
So, and that's going to bring us to Hamish and Alice, who are still in the library. And Alice is still trying to get this message to Dean Fogg using a paper airplane spell, but it won't work. Obviously, the circumstances are still off. So Hamish comes up with the idea, you know, let's just go out and find Dean Fogg the old-fashioned way. And it's pretty cool how he deactivates the, oh God, the ward so that's on cool. the door. That was and the he, best CGI of the whole episode was just how he he goes in there and just plucks the ward, which the last time we saw something like that was was um having the beast try and deconstruct Marina's wards while Reynard yeah. was in the yeah. apartment. Dude, that I just love. I know Brian, you've said it before in the past. Like it's just so cool how they visualize magic. It's Thank one you. of the most unique things of any media. I love that so much too. That <laughs> scene. I even liked the theory behind it, especially since it was a botanist and he put it into terms of flowers. He said it's it's kind of like undoing a spell doesn't require the same rigor. It's like pulling up a weed with a deep taproot. You know, once you get it, you can kind of pull it out without much resistance. And that's exactly what he does. He just kind of like gets under it and fingers Alice, it out. Alice definitely got a little turned on by that. <laughs> yeah, Alice totally has a crush on this guy. I'm getting it. She so doesn't want to like this guy, but she so does. He's a Q, but he has he he's kind of that nerdy, dorky Q-esque, but like he has self-confidence on like Q. So Alice doesn't want to love him, but she's crushing hard. And that's emphasized later in the episode. I don't I don't ship them, but Alice Loki has a crush. Nah, I'm Alpish. so against Almish. <laughs> God, Kyle, you have such good opinions on TV. <laughs> I'm so unbelievably against that romance. It's not even funny. But you I would even... honestly be like legitimately upset and hurt if they try to give Alice like another love interest like that right now. I'm not having that. You can't deny though. She got a little turned on by that. You can see the eye, the eye fucking right there. I didn't catch any of that. <laughs> I usually, I usually am down for sexual tension. I didn't catch any sexual tension here. No, no. I got to clarify, I do not ship them. I also think it would just be unnatural, these two together. But like, yeah, she's totally crushing on him. And it's on that's, the table. Yeah, and that's, no. that's <laughs> emphasized in one of the last scenes of the episode. The only person who is allowed to have a romance with Alice is fucking Todd. <laughs> that's the only thing I'll accept is yeah. Alice and Todd. I'm all in on that. No way. <laughs> that would be the dumbest relationship ever. Alice would never stand for his BS. Anyway. She would be the dark queen. Oh, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, she doesn't want to be the Dark Queen. Whatever. Anyway, so Hamish gets gets the ward off the door, takes one step out, turns around, and gets like shot by acid right in the arm, which I thought was hilarious because it just kind of like spurts out and hits him. <laughs> he was acting so so smooth right there too, and it just got yeah. Hero to zero, real quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he comes right back in. He says, "You know, can we go to the infirmary? It's too far away." Alice doesn't want to try a healing spell and Hamish is just like, okay, I'm a botanist. Can you get me to the greenhouse? And- oh my God, dude, this next scene is so freaking good with Jenny 23 going to the Dean's office. And this is right after their fight. They, they roll up and what they see is Todd coming out with just a, a jar in his hand. They make a quick note about it. And then they start questioning him right away because of course, Julia is very, very inquisitive and knows something is a little weird and off here. So Todd 17 is just trying to give the homies the slip and just creep by. And as he's about to step on the landmine, they say, hold up, hold on. Wait, there's a mine. And he goes, ah, thank you. Takes like three more steps and just fucking gets obliterated into blood all over the walls, all over Penny and Julia. Just absolutely crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. 
I had an absolute panic attack for like <laughs> two to five seconds. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? I, my note just says, yo, period. That's all him, I could get out. Him getting interrogated by Julia. She was just like, why are you acting so squirrely? He's like, why are you acting so squirrely? I always <laughs> act like this. And he's totally just acting squirrely. Todd kills it. And I was devastated because I didn't think that these were different timelines. I knew something was up with Fog and Todd, but I was still under the assumption these were our Fog and Todd. And I thought he blew up. But Dude, they- if that was his ending. <laughs> This I mean, podcast would have had a riot. <laughs> pretty on brand, though, for him to accidentally avoid one landmine and step on another like two feet away. Come on. I don't even have words to think about that being Todd's ending on the magicians. <laughs> like what in the world? <laughs> Although it would have been funny that like the last kind of joke he makes is when they're like, is that Cinnabar? And he's like, no, it's Cinnamon. It's just like the, that low-hanging, like dumb joke that that's all he can grasp in the moment. They don't make a squirm too long because other Todd walks up and it's just like, whoa, did I just die? He must have just seen it. And that'll actually bring us back to Alice and Hamish, who are still in, who have made their way to the greenhouse. And, you know, Hamish just says, find this flower, make a poultice of it and like smear it on my wound. But while she's fixing together the remedy, Hamish notices this flower that's on display. And he's like, wow, this is insane. This is a flower from a different world. It shouldn't be able to grow here. And he starts remembering, wow, I, I, I didn't know she was able to pull it off. And apparently the former botanist, the late ex-botanist professor, was working on this terrarium that could kind of artificially manipulate circumstances within the confines of the terrarium and that's how she got this otherworldly plant to grow really cool idea i am just i mean unless it just needs to be explained to me i don't understand how alice just kind of turns one dial and then magic works for her i didn't really understand that part where she kind of just like turns the one dial and then opens it and then now the paper airplane magic works did it work like in the confines of the terrarium, but then it worked outside of it too because it flies away. So I didn't. Yeah, I gotta quite be honest. I didn't really <clears throat> get that either because I would. I thought what was gonna happen. I don't even remember this little part of the you know episode, but I thought what was gonna happen as soon as the airplane left that box, it was just gonna like disintegrate. But because it didn't, I think it just is meant to mean that it worked in the box. I, I think it's we take it the same way. I don't know. For the first question that you posed, why she was able to just turn a dial and have it work, I think the issue with the circumstances is that nobody, like they're not defined right now. So Alice could probably work with defined circumstances if she knew what was going on. So that's what I thought. Oh, man, I love this next scene even more (laughs) than the last Todd scene because we get classic Todd, our Todd, coming through to retalk to Jenny 23 right after the explosion of Todd 17. Sorry, it's hard to keep these numbers straight, but evil Todd, evil Todd, evil Todd. So this Todd says the funny line he starts it off was, I was never really great with knots. That's just how he escapes <laughs> from being tied up from Todd 17. What a ridiculous way to get out. But he starts talking about uh, it gets mentioned that there that the other fog and the other Todd were from a different timeline. So he starts saying, I can help you identify what fog this was i wrote a memoir i wrote a i wrote his memoir on all 40 timelines he's like i even got different nicknames i got fedora fog i got cocaine fog there's swinger fog eh, those last two are the same fog <laughs> damn right they are what damn I fucking do, right they are 
What I wouldn't and, do to be able to get my hands on that memoir and read it. <laughs> and first thing Julia says is, oh, this one drinks a lot. He's like, well, that doesn't really narrow it down. So then Penny comes in with his hands are all scarred up. And what was the other thing? There were two hands things, are right? burned or something like that. Yes, we said. That was the one. Anyway, it, they, Penny gives him enough details for him to be able to say, oh, boy. I refer to this one as Psycho Fog. And apparently in his timeline, timeline 17, Psycho Fog blew up Rake Bills, hence the scars, and killed everybody within it. So this is just Psycho Fog. And Penny's not waiting to ask questions. He says, whoa, Psycho Fog, we got to go stop whatever he's up to. I'm so glad that they kind of referenced the memoir just because that is one of my absolute favorite scenes in the entire TV show is Fog kind of going back and kind of you know, tying up all the knots of his life throughout campus. And it's just fucking hilarious. And I'm so glad they brought that back. Not that it matters, but I think it was the fact that he called Elliot Todd or whatever it was, was the yep. second reason mm-hmm. that hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the opposite. You're saying like the, the opposite. Yeah. I'm sorry. The fire hands and the fact that he called him. Yeah. Elliot. That was the first one he mm-hmm. said, and then yeah. it was the fire hands. Good call. All right. So our next scene is we're back in the, in the greenhouse this time and this is jenny 23 showing up right so we have the whole squad here we have alice we have Bax, penny 23 julia and then fog shows up and then this is kind of cool because they they actually show how dangerous fog is with magic when he really has a goal whether it be positive or negative because he when he does use magic in the scene it's pretty quick effective and he's threatening you know like he's willing to kill some motherfuckers but I know B Tom's your fan of Stoppard. He that gets brought up for the third time this season, second or third time this season, which I always love when they call back to earlier seasons. <clears throat> and his whole plan is that he's going to steal timeline 40's break bills and jump it back into his own timeline. And then this begs to the question: why can't he just um live in this timeline? And what we find out a little bit later in the scene is that he actually has a daughter who's grown now in his own timeline and he wants to go back and be father of the fucking year. And he wants to, you know, bring this school back there. So he has the resources, you know, to provide for and stuff. He delivers that line. So funny. He describes his whole plan and he's like, father of the fucking year or something crazy like that. But I was thinking, why not just bring the daughter with you? Clearly this fog is, is a little bit crazy, but that would have been the no brainer to me. Maybe it still does happen because Fog is still hanging around. But one more thing I wanted to point out for the dialogue here is I always love anytime Jane Chatwin's brought up and her time loops. And it's always cool when they <clears throat> when they reference back to the beast from season one because he was such a worldly threat that they had to live through 40 timelines. And the reason Dean Fogg blew up the school, from what I gathered, it was a little bit vague, but what he was trying to self-contain where the beast could damage earth i guess is what i took it as so i assumed it meant that like the beast came over to earth to you know kill quentin or whatever he was doing and he blows it up in an attempt to kill him and it obviously didn't work is that what is that what we're thinking yeah and i also like this because you forget that there were 39 other timelines that all ended in catastrophe and this kind of reminds me of the rick and morty episode where they go back to one of the you know the timelines I don't know. The rest of the family, Rick and Morty obviously escaped, but the rest of the family went like feral. So, mm-hmm. and Jane Chatwin kind of is a bad person for just leaving these timelines in shambles because we do discover that they do continue to play out just in an apocalyptic environment. So, it's just 
I just can't wait to see how many episodes we can go and still have a Rick and Morty reference in every single episode. Cause I think that that is now six for six. Seven for seven. Oh, podcast. You're saying. Yeah. 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 Podcast episodes. That's definitely six for six. I called out ball last episode. So, and that brings us to this, you know, the, the standoff starts to escalate and Penny's the one holding the Cinnabar, which is the last thing that fog needs to, you know, set his plan in motion and Fogg is tempting him with, hey, I know a psychic in my timeline who might be able to fix your traveling, get your GPS back on track. And, you know, this girl's specialty is unlocking latent abilities. And it just so happens that I'm fucking her. Damn right he is. That's our boy. Fog pipes up everybody, man. He really does. He's lived one of the craziest lives in the entire Magician's universe. Dude, Fog locked down Bigby for like a little bit for like a very short period of time. So that man has my respect for eternity. I think even Marina makes a joke. Marina 23 makes a joke about fucking him. But I think she said it a joke. But either way, that's hilarious. I'm from the timeline where you're paying me alimony. (laughs) What a line. I feel like after 20 of these timelines, I would personally just start to not give a fuck at all. At at one point in one of these timelines, I would just be like, I don't care. I'm just going to fuck everybody. You know, do all the drugs in the world. It's all going to end anyway. <laughs> Cocaine, meth, fog. That's Dave. That's yeah. who he would be. <laughs> Why not? Fuck it. So Penny plays his part and he's like, what? Get my GPS fixed? I'm not from this timeline anyway. What do I care? And he actually, fog takes the, the jar from him, puts it in the machine, tries to turn it on, but then he gets blown back. And it turns out that they took the low hanging fruit joke from Todd and swapped the cinnabar out with actual cinnamon. So obviously the spell was not able to work. And then they're just like, all right, how about you fix the security now? Mm-hmm. Then we get one more continuation scene of Jenny 23's official breakup. And they're, they're them parting ways where now we're going to set into motion. Julia actually going to Fillory like she was talked about earlier. And Penny actually <clears throat> staying to be a teacher and professor at, and Dean at uh, break bills for the time being and he also mentions that they do have fog locked up fox fog 17 locked up in case he ever needed him for advice that's an obvious hint that he's around still i think that this conversation was much better than the original one in the physical kids cottage i feel like julia was a lot more accepting of penny's beliefs and thoughts in this scene yeah that's true do you think it's smart for them to trust even a word that Dean Fogg 17 says, like, I feel like there's just no reason to even use him. I disagree. He's still Fogg and he still has a relationship with his daughter. So he's probably going to try and true. I don't know, wheel and deal his way back to his own timeline or maybe get uh, his daughter to their timeline. And Dean Fogg is a master magician. So he's going to be a very useful resource for them. And especially they planted the seed that he might be able to help Penny get his traveling back. I would love for that to happen. Seems like a reach, but I don't know why they would introduce that concept to us and just not go back to it. Uh, this is also where we have in the scene, Penny notes that Alice's friend, Hamish Bax, is making a full recovery in the infirmary, and she gets a little bit flushed, and Kyle, oh, anybody? She was stuttering. She was a little... What did no. she say? Doesn't she say fucking great when he tells her that they hired him? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. She also says, like, not my friend, you know, someone who I just whatever like ran into or whatever. So as the uh rooks on the show, what do you guys think of Jenny 23's future? I could never see them as a couple to begin with. So 
No, I do not think that Jenny 23 is end game. Kyle. I think that I think it will be only because the show is ending. So naturally that should be the end of Julia's kind of her little goddess trip that she's been on. So I would say that is kind of Penny's goal getting to that point. So obviously they're going to have to have the last time that they save a world. But I also am kind of convinced by his whole attitude about, you know, this isn't my timeline. You know, I could easily see it ending that they're not together and he just kind of fucks off because he's like, this isn't my timeline. Because in the greenhouse, I kind of believed him. That's that seems to be a theme for pennies, right? Like Penny 40 just kind of fucked off from the main plot. Penny 23 is out. Could be out. Who knows? Look, if Julia is pushing him away, which she clearly is like, what what else does he have in this timeline? He probably doesn't give a shit about like being the dean of break bills, although he kind of does have a little bit of empathy for what's going on there. But. I don't know if if there's a possibility for him to get his traveling back. If there was a possibility for me in his shoes to get my traveling back, I would pursue that at any cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think that him being Dean is is a funny thing because it's both not him and completely him because it sets up that perfect like co- blend of comedy and seriousness where like it's comedy watching him deal with these ridiculous student requests. But at the end of the day, Penny's character is built on the fact that he acts like he doesn't care, but he actually does care. So I think it'll be interesting if he is Dean going forward, but I would much rather him be just a traveler and not be Dean. And then Alice Quinn be Dean. That would be actually very interesting. But like Penny 23 has nothing to go back to. Like his universe is in way worse shape than this one. So I, I, I think that he has every right to just stay at break bills. And also, yeah, the, the reason that the magic was turned off in timeline 23 had nothing to do with what happened in timeline 40, right? Like they killed their own God over there in timeline 23. It was yeah. it, so because that happened, I don't think he would be able to go back to his own place and have magic and it'd be normal and stuff. So yeah, I agree with that, but I do have two questions for the rooks um, just to finish off with all of the break bills, earth scenes. Cause I know we're about to move on to the fillery scenes. First thing I want to say is that Penny 23 still has the, his only real connection besides Julia is the plum stuff. Cause that, that line hasn't really, um, led to anything yet so keep that in the back of your mind but all right i want it on the board guesses right now about is fog 40 coming back because now i don't know if this strengthened your opinion or weakened your opinion if he was coming back or not and then also to put it as kathleen would say is alice ever going to kiss hamish put it on the board no to alice kissing hamish only because i don't want that to happen we've gone over i don't ship them so just because I don't want to see it, I'll say no, it doesn't happen. Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna law of attraction the shit out of that and just say there's no way that they kiss. Okay. How about the other one? Is Fog 40 gonna make another appearance? I'm gonna say yes. Only because I would be shocked if they bring Psycho Fog's daughter to this timeline instead of I'm not shocked, but I just think it's more likely that he goes back to his daughter than they bring the daughter into this timeline. And if there's a Dean Fogg hole, they're going to feel that. There's no way that's the last we've seen of Dean Fogg. So. All right. I mean, they showed it this episode that there's a Dean Fogg hole and they just went to it, got one from a different timeline because they know that people want Fogg. Bro, is that not exactly what happened with Penny? It's a plot yeah. device that's been used in the show before. One main character leaves and they just you know, yeet one from another timeline. So I don't know. 
Yes, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Doesn't have anything 40, to go yeah. back to. Like Fog, Psycho Fog has something back in his timeline that he cares about and has a reason to live for. Well, we just said Penny Twenty Three has nothing. He had the ability to just freely surf time, basically. Honestly, no, I want to go back. I don't think we're going to see Fog 40 again because we've talked about on this episode specifically how that's Fog has deserved his end of life in the etheric realm. Like he has been through 40 timelines of shit. Like he deserves this retirement, which man, I'm convincing myself otherwise because that wouldn't be (laughs) totally satisfying. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm going to fool's gold. I'm going to be I'm going to be an optimist and say yes. Definitively final answer we're going to see Fog 40 again. Let's right. go. I want to. Right. Cuz I want to. It on the board. Yes sir. That's I missed that alcoholic. Our whole break bills plot line and now we can move on to the fillery stuff. This stuff was a little bit uh shorter this episode because we really only had the characters that we care about being Elliot, Margo and Fen, right? Whoa, so- Rafe? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you knew what I meant. <laughs> I did. Um, so our first scene is just them. To- is It's Wraith, right? Yep. <laughs> Talking shit about Bick Pickwick, who is the ancestor of Pick, the one from, you know, who's been there since season one. And we're having a discussion again, and it's mostly between Elliot and Margot that we find out, you know, rumors around the castle that Margot's aren't a werewolf period time. So that that's a thing now. That's part of her reputation as a centurion. And then they also go on to start talking about um, Bick. And what we find out right away is that he just hates everything that's not a human, specifically gets brought up fairies, because that was a huge plot line that Fen's wrapped up in. Yeah, I was just going to say it's because it's been three episodes. It bears repeating. But Fen, her last instructions were just to keep an ear to the ground and find out who hates fairies, because Elliot still doesn't think that it's all coming from the Dark King. And I have to highlight this quote. It's Margot doesn't know if they think it's her werewolf time of the month that they're afraid of or actual girly part of the month that they're afraid of. So she says perks of marching with a bunch of scrotes who don't know how lady parts work. Margot's just she has a lot of good lines this episode. We didn't even there was a lot in the first scene that we just didn't even mention, but she's just full of gold. Every time she talks, Summer Bishop is like amazing. It was nice to see Rafe again, but it was sad to see him kind of serving an animal that he doesn't fuck with because he does not fuck with her high leap miss gertrude <laughs> he was pissed he calls her an odious felt marmot and says that she's a traitor to her own can't trust anything with a pouch yeah no doubt she says she's a nightmare but it it's just like a little kangaroo by the way <laughs> she has the ear of the dark king uh but rafe continues to say you know all of the people in his cabinet if you will are all just puppets for the chief advisor who is Bick Pickwick so besides the Dark King Bick has some pool has some has some swag and this is music to Elliot's ear because he is just uses that info to convince himself that it's not Seb who's dark it's Bick who's dark and Margaret's like bro like what are you stigmatized like what's going on with you I just love that term dickmatized gonna add that to your everyday vocabulary I'm going to give it my best shot, but it's probably not going to stick because there's too many from this show. Rafe tells them that the last time Fen was seen, she was heading for the Windward Woods and she gave them a message, gave Rafe a message to tell Elliot and Margot. And that message was the maid on the outside will soon be on the inside. <laughs> Love that. So 
Margot is going to look for Fen in the Windward Woods, and Elliot says he's going to pursue other lines of inquiry just with regards to the fairies. So still in Fillory, we have Elliot and Charlton, who is still just with Elliot at all times, going to have an audience with the Dark King. And Charlton says he's been sleeping, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'll just binge watch what I missed in your head later. Like, no big deal. He's just an interesting character and how they write him is just awesome he's you know he's a man out of time and he's just following elliot who's one of the best people you would want to follow and just the way they talk about his limitations and how he's like in his head and stuff is awesome he is way better to be having in your headspace than niff and alice was to q i'll tell you that much oh yeah oh my god yeah and the big issue facing the dark king right now is that Fillory is broke. They're out of gold. Soldiers and barrier builders are threatening to strike. And reports indicate that the takers are gathering in force outside the walls. So if, you know, barrier builders aren't working, then it could put everybody in peril. Bick insists that he has to take the Centurion Guard to take back the gold that the fairies stole and are hoarding. So Bick is just shitting on the fairies, blaming them for the loss of gold. And Elliot tells Seb that it doesn't track because he has experience dealing with the fairies. You know, they're not interested in gold. They're interested in like milk baths and stuff. And while they're crafty negotiators, they're not thieves. So it just doesn't make sense that they would steal gold. And I love the line. Elliot says diplomacy can always be followed by force, but the reverse is rarely true. So the Dark King comes to the compromise, you know, go find the fairies encampment in the Windward Woods. You can take Pick or Bick with you and you have one hour to diplomatically solve this and negotiate with them. Otherwise, Bick can have his way with them. While I was not on top of Psycho Fog and Evil Todd being who they were before it's kind of put in front of your face, I was 100% on top of Big Pickwick being a thief and hoarding the gold himself because A, fuck that guy, and B, it was definitely way more obvious. Yeah, he's a douche. I don't like him. Also, 20 pounds of gold is like $600,000. Damn, really? I was That's thinking about that. Yeah, yeah I looked it up. <laughs> yeah, I looked it up. I was like, I just need to know. So our next scene here is now we're t- going through Margot's perspective. She's just going through the forest to meet with fairies and Fen. That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to get more information. As soon as she approaches the camp, she gets threatened. They pull her in and you find out pretty quickly after Fen saves her from being stabbed that the fairy histories were not kind to high King Margot at all. And it basically just, just shifted, you know, like as, as they told it through the generations, it got worse and worse for them. And one of the funniest lines of this scene is when Margo's, I think it's like the direct next scene, Margo's bathing the fairy's foot or something in the milk. And she's just telling, we have to work together here. And <laughs> she says, we should be sharing information and work together here against the Dark King and get you guys back to prominence, basically. And she puts her hand to her ear and she goes, if you just set your motherfucker to receive, we'd be on the same page. <laughs> so good. So yeah, apparently over the centuries, it's it's shifted. So the fairies, instead of praising Margot as the person who finally oh, got no. peace between fairies and humans, now the narrative is she destroyed their realm and allowed fairy hunts for sport. And Fen's like, yeah, it's your it's your classic case of potato potato. And Margot's like, potato p- massive fucking lie. <laughs> How did that get so twisted in like? fate like fairy history you know like that was such a historic and groundbreaking moment and 
So I think it does actually have yeah. some logical guess, reason yeah. because they had to give away the seventh key to bring magic back by getting rid of the fairy realm. So the fairies were expecting is if they get rid of their realm and they're not safe anymore and they're just in fillery at the whim of the people, if Margo wasn't there to vouch for them and, and protect that deal, humans are kind of just, you know, assholes. So like they just eventually, as the generations went on, probably just took advantage of that because they're magical creatures. <sighs> That's a good point. I completely forgot about that. But yeah, just quickly before we get there, I love the fact that Fen says you screwed the pooch and not in a good way. It's just yeah. like it's such like a head turning joke where like it makes sense when you're in fillery because they fuck with that kind of shit. But like for us hearing that, it's like, oh, my gosh. That's so true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it just reminded me of, you know, I'm feeling the wrong kind of boned right now. Yeah. Fen and it's just. I, Talking about banging dogs. I just think, like like I was saying a little bit earlier, like Charlton and Fenn are just, the, the way that they try and incorporate Earth and modern references into their own respective, whether it be Philorian dialogue or whatever Charlton's from, it's just, that's just a, to bring it back to Todd, low-hanging fruit for jokes that just hit every single time. I just, I said it in an earlier pub, but fucking fan and benny hana is amazing i fucking love that <laughs> she's just so happy with the knives it's so perfect the way fan can just turn a like dark situation into just like a, like a sort of comic relief is just incredible <laughs> did not see that coming when she first got introduced like in season you know 100 percent. i'm sure kathleen is shaking at the moment listening to this that we haven't mentioned that Margo actually admits wrongdoing in this scene and asks Fen how she can help, which is that's nice growth for Margo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then in the next scene, though, she has to swallow her tongue and make, you know, essentially kiss the fairy's ass and apologize to them. But in, in her defense, this this fairy, I guess she's just the head fairy now. Her name is Rowan. She is she is just being completely unreceptive to Margo reaching out in Olive Branch. And Margo just loses it. She's like. Listen, it's like my dad always said, you can't fix stupid. And glazing over the fact that he was usually saying that to me, you would have to be like Olympic gold medal stupid if you're still like not thinking I'm here to help you. Mm -hmm. And this chick Rowan is about to just say, get out of our camp. Like we, we don't need your help when a bunny drops in. Big coming. Run, hide. <laughs> <laughs> that was the so only... The only negative I have about this is that did they ever tell us why the bunnies are back? No, I don't think so. Yeah, they never really talked about why they were gone, and then they kind of just showed back up. And they even said that the cigarettes weren't working, so it's not the cigarettes. So our next scene is going to be from the point of view of Elliot, Bick, and the Centurions who are arriving to camp. And all the fairies are already gone, and Bick looks right at Elliot and says, who they must've been warned by someone. Obviously Elliot was the one that sent the bunny and Margot is kind of hiding, you know, a hundred yards away or something behind some shrubbery with all the fairies. And she magically changes back into her Centurion uniform and steers one an approaching guard back to the tents. And this is where we see Bick quote unquote finds gold in one of the tents. And Charlton says, Oh my gosh, he he's a bad cop. He just planted that gold in one of the tents. It's just so funny that Luke, you were just talking about Charlton, like bringing him into like the kind of the modern day with his jokes and stuff. And that joke is just something that would not exist in Charlton's time. No. Yeah. 
Charlton was an MVP because he could do reconnaissance without anybody knowing. So he could be watching whoever he really wants as long as we're relatively close to Elliot. And it's just, you know, it's cool that he's still finding a way to be useful besides making Elliot mentally insane. I would also say that he is a skeptic with regards to the Dark King. Like he says, yeah, this this guy was dark before Bic. Like Bic stuff aside, he is still the Dark King. But Elliot, I feel like without definitely Margot, but also to an extent Charlton would be just head over heels digmatized by this guy. But Charlton is always in his head saying, yeah, listen, he's the Dark King. Dude, are you guys reading my notes? Because I have Bic quote unquote finds gold here. And then I also have Charlton such a nice surprise. <laughs> I have another tiny question that when they first sent the Centurions into the village, there was 100% a girl with them, like a blonde Centurion that would have made their two women in the Centurions. Nah, just long hair, like Legolas. I can get down with that. I can get down with that. Could have been Legolas. Who knows? <clears throat> you have and, my bow. <laughs> and Elliot plays this really good because Bick immediately says, hmm, Elliot, I guess your judge of character was was wrong about the fairies. And Elliot says, hey, they, they must have changed since the last time I dealt with them. And so he saves face there. And then he suggests, shouldn't we be getting this gold back to the king? He needs it by nightfall. And so Bick leads the centurion guard back to Whitespire. Mm-hmm which will bring us back to the Dark King's court. And Bick presents his six pounds of gold that he quote unquote found to the king. And Elliot notices that the gold smells like shit. And this is where I, it's kind of like just a cut scene to Bick going into this hidden passageway. And it reveals that he all along has owned gold shitting beetles, which is dropped from season one. I feel like. Yeah, no, there was a thing when magic died out, um, I think in season three, all the gold beetles went extinct is what they were talking about. So that's, you know, that is earned. I like that part. But I also want to say it was Charlton that follows Bick, right? Like you can assume how else would he have been caught without something like Charlton being the fill in the gap kind of thing of how he got. Don't they watch him through the pensive? Oh, was it? Did I miss that? I might have been taking notes when I did that. Yeah, which I didn't know that the pensive worked that way is another yes. question that would come up. Like, could they just say, I want to follow the Dark King all the time always and have him ready to go? I, I thought it was more like government propaganda, like the Dark King always had control of what was being shown. Yeah, you just took basically the words out of my like end of episode thoughts there of like moving forward of how they're going to deal with the Dark King and expose him. Seems like that would be the way they would do it, but like, does it really work that way? I don't know. Yeah, it's not too clear the rules mm-hmm. of Pensy, but you know. Either way, they caught Bick red-handed, and next scene is going to be Elliot alone in the throne room with with the Dark King Seb, and they bring Bick in and present the evidence, saying apparently Bick Bick's all about saving endangered species, so Bick's going to jail. I have here that I was like legit confused about Seb's reaction. I mean, he must be a good actor because we know he's the Dark King, all that kind of stuff. But he was like upset at what what happened and was kind of like, damn, like, fuck this guy for doing that. Like all this kind of stuff. So at this point, I was confused. I was like, let's go with this guy. Like, is he he's the Dark King, but how bad is he? Yeah, I knew that was going to I hope that was a question in your mind at the time. I wish if we didn't get the reveal of the Dark King being dark at the end, I would have totally harped on that point right there. 
I absolutely love rewatching this just because the Dark King is just such a mystery at this point in time. Because exactly like you said, Kyle, he is just he appears he puts on this face of being a really good guy, and then something like what happens in the next scene is just like it blows your mind. You know, you don't know what to think of this guy. But I think Elliot does a really good job in this scene. You know, this is peak Elliot to me right here. I feel like he is just so honest, prideful, loves Fillory, will do anything for it. You know, I just love seeing this Elliot. He's in control right now. He's usually not, honestly. Exactly. That's I, why. Is he is he in control though? He's definitely a little bit digmatized. True, but he's got Charlton to balance him out. Yeah. But he has good intentions in the end, I think. Yeah. This is true. Uh okay. So and that, uh, yeah, two more scenes here, right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as we get, you know, the conclusion of the Dark King and Elliot, you kind of leave that scene thinking, all right, you know, Dark King's got some some good vibes going for him right now. And of course that leads directly to Charlton and Elliot going to meet up with Fen, Margot, and the fairies to be shown the truth is what it said. And then, you know, mic drop moment. We have the dark King actually being the cause of all the takers in Fillory. You see him. Does he drop gold or what was it? Gold. Yeah, he puts okay. the gold on the gold. ground and it, it just kind of dissolves. And these, these takers, takers just start coming out of the ground. And you finally know why he's called the DK, Dark King, baby. Yeah. I mean, was this obvious to you? This, I called this on the episode, but I'm so pissed at myself because literally I could not get the words out to say. Usually, when a ruler is in charge and he's the only one that has the power to stop an opposing force, it usually means that he is behind said opposing force. Yeah, I said it for you. It was all good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought somebody, you know, picked that shit off the glass, dunk it right oh, around. Yeah. What is My elbow was way in the rim on that one. I what is you. in the song Burn? Alley-oop that slam dunk that? Yeah. Yo, bitch, off that back, boy, she throw it back. I slam dunking that pussy. I play great <laughs> for your <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, this also yeah, you can keep that. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely, definitely keep that. But uh, this also explains why the Dark King is also the only one that can dispel him, at least, or at least hints at that being part of the reason, and then not just being a simple uh, medical spell, is that what, or an anti-disease spell, is what he said earlier in the season. I always thought that was bullshit because couldn't any magician learn the antiviral spell like that? Well, everyone's not magicians in Fillory. Most people are not. But there are magicians. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Elliot is so heartbroken right here. Just the look on his face, you know. <clears throat> no more penis for you. <laughs> <laughs> Has he gotten it? No, well, no. No, because I was thinking of the picnic, but... And he ain't gonna get it now. Yeah, no way. Yeah, that's kind of one of the, the number one questions I have moving forward is kind of how he'll react. I, I can't... I, I cannot imagine he tries to rationalize it, but we've seen B. Elliot... We've seen rather Elliot be very irrational. I hope he doesn't try to. I just hope he doesn't try to rationalize it in his own head. And I hope finally he realizes that this guy's no fucking good. The Dark King is still a little bit of a mystery. I'm, I don't know what his intentions are, whether it's just to have control of Fillory or like what these takers are for. And I think since it is Rupert Chatwin, your boy called that. Hopefully, you know, the jury's still out on that, but I, I'm pretty convinced it's Rupert Chatwin. Maybe he's doing the same thing that the beast wanted to do, just like have control of his kingdom and nobody can come in or out without his say. Like, and if he's using the takers as a fear tactic, that's a great way to control your kingdom. It's also interesting because clearly, like, fighting the takers exhausts the shit out of him. And I'm assuming it's just like 
it's worth it for him to be the king, that aspect of creating them and having to fight them and do the tough magic and tire himself out just seems like we see him be so tired and be like, Oh, you know, it's, we're just kind of holding them at bay. And then he's still creating more of them. It just seems like a kind of like an odd dichotomy. And that's why Kyle, you were saying you don't want Elliot to rationalize it at all. You want him to just be completely opposed to the dark King. I don't think that that would be, what's the word, like a legitimate reaction because even me viewing the show as a whole, like I can tell there's more to it than Seb is just an evil guy bringing these takers in. Like, you're right. It does exhaust him. Like he is, there are detriments to himself in doing this. There has to be more to it than he's just an evil guy doing evil things. And I'm excited to learn what it is. Does him throwing the gold in the ground imply that he's keeping the Beatles for himself? Like, do you think he's still going to be using big pickwick? Like, do you think he's going to make a return? No, I just think the, I just think the gold means that it was powerful magic. And I also don't, I don't think he readily has the, Beatles available to him because he wouldn't why what would the benefit of him having the riots happen like he wanted the gold to help pay for some of the unrest but like you know I don't clearly know. some of it's going to other matters here yeah that's a really good point I think that's part of the reason why they were drained for gold too most likely because he's using it for this magic to raise the takers is it all yeah, yeah. well they got two thieves at that point because they got big pickwick is you know, given some for himself, obviously. And now the Dark King's using some not for paying people. So, and like I said, do you think Big Pickwick's going to make a return? I don't see why he would be necessary. I, now that he isn't providing gold, what is he going to do? He's obviously like a fairy racist. So I don't see a part for him in the plot, but maybe, I don't know. I would hope Rowan like, kills him or Fen. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want, I personally just hated his character so much. Yeah, he's not very redeemable. And I think, that's already been taken care of. He's behind bars, so I'm satisfied. It does. I mean, that trouble brewing with the soldiers and the what the barrier workers is definitely good for them. Our, our heroes, that is. You know, they can definitely leverage that unrest or potential unrest. But I just can't help but think that Fen is still underutilized as a character. We haven't seen her in a couple of episodes for you know good reason. But I just really hope that she plays like a central role in taking down the Dark King. Um, I don't want her to just kind of be like the the intermediary for the fairies. I don't want her to actually do shit, fight people, that kind of stuff. Well, the the good thing about this episode and what it means for the rest of the series is where it's clearly a shift towards Fillory being the center of the plot. That's going to be Endgame. So Fen, by by the fact that she's just in Fillory, she's going to get more face time. And as, as more and more characters trickle in and we start to get real heavy focus on the Dark King, his motivations and like everything around this this final scene. Yeah, we're getting close to the apocalypse of Fillory. Pigman's been spewing this nonsense since the very beginning of the season. Like, we need what's what's going to happen there, you know? And that's the other thing. The Pigman, through the little tidbits of like Todd's song, we're led to believe that the apocalypse that the Pigman was spelling out was the whole Dark King Taker situation. I'm not sure if that's entirely true or if another threat is going to be posed from a distant land besides the takers and everybody has to squat up and take care of that. Double that, red herring. Yeah. I mean, it's anyone's <laughs> guess. I, I would hope that because I, I'm really just hoping for more complexity to the dark King character. I think he's a bad guy. I think he's no good, but I, I really hope that there's a rewarding why he is. He is such a bad guy. The whole, his parents being from earth thing is definitely an interesting angle that I'm excited to find out more about. I, I'm very confident that the Dark King is Rupert Chatwin. I feel so good about that one, but 
if he is a Chatwin, I think Plum is going to play a part. I also haven't, they introduced us to Plum like four episodes ago and we haven't even heard her name. So what's she up to? And also, I mean, we have Katie's whole Hedgewood storyline is still a complete main storyline too. So we're, we're working with three, three and a half storylines right now. So the Hedgewood storyline was just getting the read marks taken care of and correct me if I'm wrong, but before the harmonic convergence, so that would have been episode five, did Zelda not give the medical book that they found in the depository to Harriet and right. off all, I, I thought that that was all taken care of off screen already. No, no. I think the whole purpose was they couldn't get into the into the library that they were looking for if magic circumstances got fucked up. So they, all they had to do was, you know, get that out of the library. And as soon as they did deal with that later. And that's when Katie mm. jumped into the apocalypse plot because she had the free bandwidth to actually help out now. So the reads, so the read marks are still a thing. It's it's going to be talked about next time we see Katie. Gotcha. So we're going to cool. figure that out. But yeah, like like. You know, there's a lot of plot still to come together and shift it towards the main, you know, Dark King issue we got going on. But that that's what happens. This this episode didn't focus too much on Fillory, so we're kind of beating a dead horse here. We talked about all the new information, so I don't want to ask you more about that because there's not much more you can predict. But final thoughts for the episode before we head to our Bang Kill Mary segment here. Thought it was a nice lift off point to kind of propel us into the second half of the season. In comparison to the last two episodes, this was just slowed down back down to like five miles per hour. So this is this was good. Yes, Kyle. Absolutely. I agree. Great transition. I'm ready to get into the fillery meat. And I can't wait for Josh to come back after that bar mitzvah. He's the head chef of Castle Whitespire, so he'll definitely play a role in whatever plan to oust the king. You know, I'm sure he's chefing up something. So there's a bunch of characters. I mean, no Josh, no Katie, no Zelda. I want to see all three of those, hopefully next episode. And more Todd, always more Todd. So as always, we got to finish strong with our Bang Kill Mary segment. For this week, however, we're going to do a quick hitter. We're just going to pick three random side characters and that, that kind of had a small impact on a lot of our main characters. One being very new. So here we go. We're going to start with... Pete, a.k.a. Love Lady, who is the, I would say, vice president of the Hedges, you know, the, the number two to Katie currently. We have Gavin, who is the library traveler. He is pretty much the number two to Zelda or was for a large portion of the series. And then third, we have our new character, Hamish Bax, who is potentially going to kiss Alice, potentially going to not be important. Who knows? We're going to find out either way. All right. Who's going to go first? This is actually really tough. I I can I, I can probably start us off. I think I'm gonna kill Gavin. I know he's a traveler and I know he could take me a lot of places, but the guy's just a straight up dick, I feel like. Pete makes a case for, you know, he always talks about how he's always loyal, you know, when he was with Marina, stuck by her side. So I like that loyalty in a man. So I'll marry Pete and then bang my boy Hamish. Just as, as a process he, of elimination or for a reason? After we have sex, you could, you know, use his plants and roll me some good kush. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. I'm also going to marry Pete because I love Love Lady. I think he's so fun. Like, he's just like a bubbly dude. And ever since his initial interactions with Julia in season one, you could tell that he's just a, a fun character. And he's pretty powerful. He's <clears throat> always been the number two hedge witch of whoever was in control of the east coast so i like i like pete a lot i think that i'd marry him i'm gonna actually bang gavin 
who I'm not a huge fan of, but I'm a super pessimist towards Hamish because I'm very defensive against Quentin. And I don't want anyone touching Alice that isn't Quentin or myself. So I'm going to kill that motherfucker. <laughs> and that just leaves me to bang Gavin. Okay. I'm going to start off with Mary and Pete. Above all else, Pete like never takes himself too seriously. No matter what the context is, he's a little bit of comic relief. And like you guys have both pointed out, he is a great number two. So if I would be the number one in the marriage, he would be a great number two for that. Always following the lead. Uh, I'm going to bang Hamish. Luke, I'm going to piggyback right off of your points only because I don't want him to end up with Alice. So I'm going to bang him so good. He forgets that (laughs) bitch's name. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll fall on that grenade. So that you totally could do that too. You could totally do that. And that's RIP that that one's for you, Keo. And yeah. Who does that lead me to kill? Gavin. Gavin. Yeah. I'll kill Gavin. He's a dick. So for process of elimination and he's just a dick, I'll kill Gavin. (laughs) Great bang reason, though. Love it. Hey, you know, it's really funny is that I was totally going to marry Hamish until Luke and B-Toms went. And now I'm just filled with rage. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm going to kill Hamish because fuck that guy trying to hit on Alice. How dare he? And then I'm going to marry Pete. I'm going to complete the trifecta. Not even a trifecta. What is that? A quartet? Yeah. Quartetta. That's probably not a word. But Quartet I'm going to marry crown. Pete as well. We're all going to marry Pete. That's going to be a great marriage, all five of us. And then I'm going to bang Gavin because we can, while we're banging, travel around. Yeah, and that yeah. sounds cool. Banging every country. <laughs> every that world. Turned, that turned oh. into a good one. I'm happy yeah. we did that. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, Bang Kill Mary, that is always the end of our podcast episode. Keep an eye out for our continued coverage of The Magicians. We're going to be covering each episode of Season 5 week by week. And as always, if you like what you heard, give Binchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BinchtownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Binchtown TV. And thanks for listening. The evil forces enter a forest glade, coming from a distant realm. Do it, fade! We have to seal the door of death. We'll come for everyone, destroying all of nature. Blah, blah, blah. everyone. The horny, horny, horny. <laughs> I love that. A little horny, horny, horny. All right, sorry. Peaches and plums, motherfuckers. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.